Kia ora and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. This is episode 117. It's Beyond a Joke 8. Um, yeah, uh, thanks heaps for listening. Um, in this episode, I talked to um, Dominic Hui um, about his new novel, which is called People With Money, which is published by Penguin. And as this arrives um, in your email um, or in your little um, podcast listening app, um, uh, poor people with money will have just been launched. Um, yeah, it's launching um, at Soap in about a couple of hours um, as I speak here now. And yeah, I hope everyone has an awesome night. I wish I could have been there. I was almost there. I was so close, but I won't be there. And I'm very sad. But um, yeah, this is such a great book that I reckon everyone's going to have an amazing night. So yeah, um, we got together, I think a couple of weeks ago, we had a chat over Zoom. And um, yeah, Dominic um, told me a funny story. And the funny story helped us have a chat about all sorts of things like story structure and um, learning to write and even things like the economics of writing, um, money, 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 money. I'm always interested in money. Anybody wants to ever talk to me about money, I'm up for it. Okay, so yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, if you're listening to this not on Substack, you can come over to the Better Off Read Substack and subscribe there if you like. Um, that means that you will get um, a newsletter um, along with your podcast um, yeah, uh, thank you to everyone who subscribed. Um, yeah, really appreciate it, and thank you also to the people who um, have helped financially, um, contributed financially. I really appreciate it. I know money's tight, and yeah, just incredibly grateful for the help that you give me to make this podcast. Um, and yeah, through doing that, um, the generosity um, you show. And making it possible um, for everyone to listen. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dominic. And um, yeah, hope you're doing okay. Thanks, Eves. Hello, Dominic, how are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm doing? really good, yeah. It's a stormy night at Wellington. Is it a stormy night up there? Yeah, I mean, probably not as much as Wellington. It's cold. Though. Yeah. Very cold. It, it look, yeah, it's crazy cold. It's crazy. Hey, thank you so much for um, um, being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I was wondering if you could start just by introducing yourself. Sure. Um, yeah, kia ora. Ko domina koui, toko I'm based up in Tamaki, and I am a writer, um, primarily of novels and poetry, but I've also done plays. I used to be a rapper, but then I got old and was felt like I should probably stop doing that. Um, I'm also a youth worker. Um, I work with rangatahi um, who are having struggles with their mental health and sort of give them tools and um, just tell them they're awesome, give them high fives. Um, yeah, I think that's all the things I do. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's plenty. That is plenty to fill a life. That's plenty. <laughs> Um, and we're kind of um, meeting up today because your new book is out soon. That's right, eh? Like it's out with Penguin, is that right? Yep. So, um, yeah, so it's my first time doing a book with Penguin. Um, so I was with Steel Roberts before that, and then I did a few books on my own. Press, Dead Bird Books. Mm. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so, so it's quite quite different. Um, 
they've all been really different actually but yeah so yeah it's exciting such a great book i'm i'm really looking forward to talking about it um one of the things i've been asking people to do is bring along something that they think is funny or something that's made them laugh now um do you want to just explain what it is that you've brought along today or do you want to leap straight into it <laughs> yeah i guess i mean i so i told so pip asked me to bring something funny and i thought of the story which is very funny to me and then i i told the other person my partner involved in it and she was like i feel like maybe you had to be there but anyway <laughs> i'm gonna tell you the story and if it's not funny then um well that's that's on you <laughs> Should I jump into it? Yeah, I reckon. Like, I mean, I'm already I've got questions about this idea of, you know, you had to be there. But yeah, um, we can talk about that after you've told the story. Well, maybe I'll pull it off. I don't know. Maybe I'm funnier than I think. <laughs> I, I thought it was very funny. I when you when I listened to the voice recording, I was laughing myself. Oh, yeah. that's good, that's good. Okay, all right. Anytime you're ready. Okay, it's got a slight um uh preamble epilogue. Epilogue's one before I uh I think i you're asking the wrong person, but maybe? We'll call it Libby Log. Um, yeah, let's call it that. So about two and a half years ago, um, this woman started following me on Instagram and her account was private. I didn't know who it was, but she was liking all my posts and saying quite witty things. And I was like, oh, I wonder who that is. And then I assumed, because she had the same name as this really annoying person that was coming to my shows and annoying me. So I was like, oh, it must be them. <laughs> and then um, about a year and a half ago, she said something that made me realize that it can't be her because they're in America. So I followed them. And then I was like, oh my God, this person's like beautiful and like, when I say beautiful, like beautiful for like, you know, not like, I don't know. I just, for what I'm attracted to, like, I was just like, oh my God. And then um, we started talking and it, and we have the same politics and we like the same films and, and all these things. And which is, you know, and anyway, so we talked for about a year and then eventually she was like, you should come to America and I'll come to New Zealand. So I went to America to meet up with her. And here begins the story, end of epilogue. <laughs> so um, she messages me, I'm in LA and, and it's about midnight because her plane's been delayed. And she messaged me saying, look, I'm almost there. So I go out into the street and then this huge truck comes barreling down the street and just goes past <laughs> me. And I'm like, fuck, I think that's her. And then, and then it does like this screeching U-turn and comes back the other way. And I'm like, yo, that's definitely her. So I message and I'm like, yo, I'm on the footpath. And she's like, what's a footy path? Like messages back. And I'm like, the sidewalk, like I'm right here and like waving. And she like mounts the fucking pavement and pulls up and then gets out. And we have this like tearful kind of, you know, because we've been talking at this point for like a year or whatever. And then I get in the car for her and we get on the freeway to go to our Airbnb. And she's like drifting into the other lane. There's cars <laughs> beeping at us. I'm like holding on like, oh, what the fuck? And she's like teasing me the whole time. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And then we get to the Airbnb and she over, she goes too far down the street. And she's like, oh, fuck, it's back down there. I'm just going to reverse. And she reverses at speed down this narrow fucking street. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the fuck? And so the next three weeks we're, we're driving in the giant truck. And she's driving because I can't drive on the other side of the road. She's driving around. We're driving around California and the whole time I'm just like, <gasps> and she's like teasing me, you know, that's like they're making that noise at me. Anyway, jump forward where we, she comes back to New Zealand with me and, and um, get in my car and I almost immediately like scrape my car just all along the fucking um, curb because turns out, I mean, I didn't tell her this, but I'm a fucking terrible driver as well. And so, um, you know, and, 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 Anyway, we're driving around New Zealand and I'm just driving like a, like a lunatic. And um, 
And then one on one of her last nights here, we're all drinking with friends, and she discloses that she thinks it's really attractive when um, people, when they're reversing their car, sort of do that thing where they lean on the, the seat next to them and look behind. But my neck's fused, so I can't do that. I mean, I probably couldn't do that anyway because I can barely drive, but I definitely can't do it because my neck's fused. <laughs> but anyway, as a joke, when we left, I was like, look, I'm doing the thing. And I was reversing, but I was like, I can't see anything. I can't see anything. She's like, stop, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? And then I was like laughing and laughing. And then I get on the road and I'm about to take off, but the car's still in reverse. And I put, I, it just ex- put reverse and we just shoot down the fucking driveway. And she's like, you can never fucking hassle me about my driving again. <laughs> So that was the, that's the story. <laughs> oh my God. I just, I don't know. Like what I, what I love about this story is that, um, like, I feel like, I hope it's okay to go a little bit like granular on it, but I just, um, I don't know. Like one of the first things and I think I said this to you, like one of the first things that I find really interesting is once someone um, gave me a definition of a joke or definition of funny and they said, oh, um, person gets in car, person turns on engines, person face forwards and cars goes backwards, you know, which is exactly what happened to you. And like, yeah, it just seems like this pure, pure hilarity. But I just wonder, like, I, what am I, one question I'm really interested in is as these things were happening, did you think it was going to be a story that would sort of formulate into a funny story? Yeah. As, as the, it was sort of, as you were driving around Los Angeles, like, did you think, oh yeah, this, this will be a story. At first I, I thought I was going to die. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think once I got to New Zealand and just the look of disappointment on her face at how fucking shit I was at driving. And she was like, the fucking nerve of you to give me shit, you know? in your tiny little fucking hybrid car like at least you know she was in this giant truck (laughs) (laughs) and I mean this is one of the things that I think is really interesting about it like I think what makes it so funny for me is the fact that um like it it doesn't stay laughing at someone else if you know what I mean like um yeah I wonder I sort of have an interest in this idea of self-deprecating humor. And I think that having seen a couple of your shows, I don't think you're afraid to laugh at yourself. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts about like laughing at someone else versus laughing at ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think as a nation, that's probably the thing we're best at is laughing at ourselves. You know, I think when, um, you know, like our art really works, I think it's often doing that. Um, what, you know, um, and, and I think, like, being an artist is a fucking ridiculous thing to do with your life. You yep. know I mean? and, and I think you, one of the things as well, um, I, I always, like, we, we talk about this in the youth work, but I actually talk to my students when I'm teaching about this as well, is, like, you should take the work seriously, but not yourself. And I think as a youth worker, because it is, you know, really heavy at times, and you're dealing with this really serious shit, but it's ridiculous as well, and it's so funny. There's so much, you know laughter and everyone's playing practical jokes on each other and it's all that kind of stuff too um Mm. and i think with the plays because with both of them the one of them's critiquing the health system the other's sort of critiquing i guess the sort of um art industry you know the wider industry that surrounds art and when we're not talking about art i talk about all all creativity creative industries that's the fucking word i mean um (laughs) but i'm critiquing these big structures and i think it's important to sort of look at yourself too because I'm sure, you know, Creative New Zealand, when I'm criticizing them, they're like, oh my God, it's this ridiculous person who talks about his fucking love life and his stupid poems. And, you know, and, and it's true as well, you know, and I think, um, and I think as well, it's for the audience, it's sort of, 
it helps them to relax too you know mm. Mm. I don't know I don't know if you've told this story a few times or whether I just wonder sorry this is going really granular and you may not even think of it this way but I'm just wondering about which elements of it have stayed consistent throughout the tellings and which elements have sort of fallen away like what what do you think's important to keep in with the story that makes it funny like I guess for me it's kind of this idea of sort of meeting for the first time and the anxiousness that's around that and then this hilarious kind of like slapstick situation with the driving and you know I think every time like the the other time you told me it, you you talked about the preamble of meeting this person yeah I just wonder like have you got thoughts about what elements this story couldn't do without like if you took it away it wouldn't be funny anymore yeah I mean this is only the second time telling it the first was when I told you oh um, right so I feel like I could definitely do some workshopping on it. <laughs> like as I was telling it, I was like, ah, oh, man, I fucked that up. But um, I don't know. I think that, yeah, I guess the preamble and, and you know, and sort of the sort of, yeah, because it was like, I mean, it was one of the more emotional things I've ever experienced and, and something. Um, and so I think that sort of excitement and that, you know, relief to finally meet this person and then to, you know, five minutes later, be on the freeway and be like, I'm going to fucking die. Like, <laughs> And the fact that she's driving this huge truck as well, like, because when she when she was saying, I'm going to get to the airport and I'm going to hire a car and I'll come meet you. And I was like, oh, you're going to get a big car. And she's like, no, I'm just going to get a medium-sized car. And it was huge. Like, <laughs> it was probably the biggest car I've ever been in, you know? Like, <laughs> Which is so America, isn't it? Like, I don't know. I don't know. The times that I've been over there, every time we've rented a car, they're just like, how about this car? It's a family. It's, you know, it's a small car, you know. Yeah. And I think there's there's something really nice in this story. I was just thinking of, um, you know, and this is, I mean, I sort of also think this with um, poor people with money is that there are some things that need to be described before you get to the situation. And I'm, I guess, yeah, like with poor people with money, they're, you know these are worlds um I was thinking particularly about the kickboxing world well not kickboxing but you know like um what's that fighting called Muay Thai yeah it's kickboxing Muay Thai, yeah yeah, it's, it's, yeah yeah like with that world like there's certain things that the reader needs to know before the book takes over and I just wonder you know how do you give that information to the reader or to the person that you're telling the funny story to. Like with the funny story, you're able to sort of give a little bit of a preamble. But yeah, I just wonder with um, poor people with money, there isn't quite the scope. I don't think it gives like an a, a, an epilogue or whatever those things are called. Yeah. It kind of just dives straight into it. Like how do you let people know the culture of Mutai? Yeah. I think I just like um... – you know, like, because at the beginning of the book, she starts, she's learning to fight. And I mean, that happens in one chapter kind of thing. But so there's kind of that, that kind of introduction to that world. And then I think, I just love it when a book takes me and just drops me into a world and that you can kind of feel it. And, you know, you can even know how that smells and feels and everything. Um, yeah. And I, and I guess like, um, you know, she's, she's, she, because the in, in the book, you know, she's telling her, um, her brother who's gone missing um, about, um, you know, about this world, about this thing that she does now, that's her whole life. And so I guess it's like, uh, that was a device as well, like her telling telling the brother. Mm. Was that there from the beginning? Like, was that sort of, 
something in the first sort of like genesis of the book, this idea that it was someone talking to someone who wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, because I, I really, I love writing in second person. I know it's frowned upon, but I love it. And um, I had to force myself in my new novel not to do it. Um, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and, and I sort of like, I don't know, there's, I always find myself talking to people that aren't here, you know, whether they're dead or um, overseas or whatever, or I don't, I just don't even know them anymore. It's something that I do all the time. Um, so yeah, I just sort of thought of put it into the into the book you know Mm, mm, yeah and like one of the other things I'm really interested in structurally like I think it you I think it's you know there's a lot that's fucking great about your writing but one of the things that I think is really genius is the way that you take this huge world and this huge life and then you're able to sort of put it into very very satisfying structures if you know what I mean like it, it feels really satisfying finishing one of your books like you're like yep and I was thinking even with that story that you tell, you know, it feels like it's got a beginning and an end and, you know, then there's some stuff that happens in the middle. And I just wonder, um, yeah, like with both the things, like the funny story and with the novel, you've got this huge life and these decisions about what goes in and what goes out. It feels like that, I don't know, like how on earth do you decide I guess I'm talking about like the shape of the novel or something like that. Mm. Like, yeah. Well, I guess the novel's kind of split into two parts. It's like the first half they're in the city dealing drugs and the second half they're hiding out in Northland. And so I I knew that that was going to be in it, you know. And so I sort of, it builds, it sort of almost has two arcs in a way. It sort of builds to the Northland part and then it builds to the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I don't know. I mean, I to be honest, when I wrote Iceland, I didn't know anything about any of that shit. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and I'm terrified to look at that book now, knowing this stuff. And then um, around the time Iceland was published, I wrote my first play. And I remember just sitting down. I, I got this residency in Rawatonga. And I got there. And I sat down to write. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I remember, and I rung up my mate who's a, he's a um, playwright. And I was like, bro, what am I going to do? And he was just like... So he sent me a bunch of stuff. And the thing that he sent me that was actually really helpful was that, save, that it's a terrible book, but um, Save the Cat. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally know that. I really mm. love it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been so helpful. I just say it's terrible because I think it's really badly written. Um, and <laughs> I don't really agree with any of the guy's sort of tastes or anything. But I think for anyone listening that um, wants to sort of get a, hang, a handle on like um, traditional story structures, um, yeah, it's really helpful, I think. Because mm. it's really interesting because the story that you told also has like that double edge thing, doesn't it? Like it's got the America story and the New Zealand story. Mm. And like, um, yeah, I think that that's something I really love about the book as well is that there is this kind of, um, it's not like fish out of water, but it's like the rules change. You know, the two settings that you're talking about, the and I don't mean rules as in the law or anything like that, but the way to survive is different in those two places. Do you think that's right? Yeah, well, because I, I felt like there's a different story I could have told where they just stay in the city the whole time. Mm, and mm. I think that's probably what people would have expected after the first book and uh, with my poetry and stuff. And I just kind of like, but, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Northland. Like I got Fano and friends and stuff up there and um so I really wanted to write about it, you know, I really wanted, to, and I guess I wanted an excuse to go up there more and, 
and mm. you know writing a novel about a place is a good good excuse to do that kind of thing you know <laughs> and it's just yeah. such a magical place like i yeah I, I would love to live there one day you know mm, mm. I, I was just thinking about what you're saying about that idea of building you know the way the tension amps up and like what I think is really clever I don't I don't know if this is something you've thought about but like what I think is really clever is that um there are certain things that need to be set in place for the stakes to be there in that first in that first part you know like we have to understand the players and yeah do you think that that was looking at um a book like you know, a, a book like Save the Cat, like those sorts of things. Like, is that how you worked out how to get that tension building? Or is it a feeling thing? Or, yeah. Um, I think initially it was feeling, but I definitely, um, you know, like, um, you know, you, you you had a read of the book and gave me some tips. And um, my friend Colin, um, who's who's the playwright I was talking about, he has been really instrumental in a lot of my writing um, as well. And, and a couple other people just, just doing that thing, I think, where, you, you know, you sort of cut the first third off, basically, and move the whole thing down, and then, you know, it just sort of ramps everything up. Um, and I think as well, like, I just, I was like, you know, the main character, Monday, I was like, um, you know, like, what happens when toughness becomes kind of like, it's almost like a disability, you're too tough for your own good, because, you know, like, I know people like that, for real, like, um and so I guess I also wanted to sort of write about that, you know, mm, like a mm. quality that in, in where I grew up was considered a good thing, but, you know, can can obviously be really detrimental to your life. Mm. And I think that's what's so interesting because, like, it's not that it's um, – I'll probably say this the wrong way, but the world that created that toughness is the world that the toughness doesn't work in anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. not like you're, you're sort of saying, oh, uh, Monday is tough, but can't live in a soft, squishy world. Like um, the the toughness just doesn't work even in the tough world, eh? Yeah, yeah. And I think like you know, it's that thing where she just won't, she just won't take a step back ever. Mm, you know, which mm. is that kind of fighter mentality as well. You know, you get taught that when you're sparring or whatever. You know, like don't step back. You know, you step back and you lose. So. Mm. Which makes her like so perfect for a novel, eh? Because like you almost you, you you do want someone that'll just keep going and I don't know, like that's one of the things I found really fucking beautiful about the book is that there are moments where you think, Oh my god, just stand down, you know, mm. and, and there isn't standing down. Like she's the perfect protagonist in that it it does it feels full like I feel real strong emotion as she's working through the book but also yeah like the book keeps moving in a way yeah 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 and I think like um I guess I tried to sort of show that like even though she doesn't really snap that often but that she's on the verge of it there's so many times where it's like someone fucks her off and she's almost going to like attack them and then something happens to distract or someone pulls her away and um, and again, I guess because, you know, like I know a lot of people like that and I grew up with lots of people like that and, you know, just that feeling of tension and like, oh man, the motherfucker's going to get in a fight, you know, like, um, you know, like you're having a good time and then suddenly it's like, oh shit, we got to leave now. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, there is, like, I mean, that's one of the things that I think in both the story that you told and in the novel as well is that there's often a need to describe 
action, if you know what I mean. Like there's mm-hmm. often a need to describe um, bodies in motion. You know, like there's a couple of scenes where um, – you know, it's very important to know where everybody is, if you know what I mean, mm. and and know and they're moving. So you like to keep grounds on them. Are there any sort of books that you read or um, advice that you were given or advice that you would give to someone trying to write those actiony kind of scenes? I think it's like just figure out what those main beats are, and just pretty much only have those. Like, because I think that where you could go wrong. I think is you're trying to sort of fill in all those gaps in between them, you know? Um, cause I didn't actually realize, cause I've only been writing prose for uh, like a decade or so. So I didn't really realize that you weren't meant to like have too much action. And so like, um, like I think in Iceland is quite a bit as well. And, um, yeah. And I think with this book initially, there was a lot more fight scenes and all that. And I was just like, Oh fuck, this is, this is hard, man. Like, um, but I think the other thing I did was just, sort of play them out myself as well you know um so sort of move around and then be like because it is really easy in your head to be like they're standing there and this person's there and then you actually stand up and try and do it and you're like oh fuck doesn't work like they'll be behind them you know like um but yeah i think that thing yeah just those main beats and and you can have like three beats of action in a scene but actually it feels like there's a lot like um you know when she has a kickboxing fight i mean it's three rounds but I think I need to describe like maybe three or four beats of actual of the fight, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think, I mean, that was something that I found really amazing about the book because, you know, like I really enjoy reading about sport and I think that, um, and I, you know, love a good car chase and I love a good chase and mm. I love a good fight. And I think that all of those are described in a way that don't, interrupt the um action you know um interrupt the flow if you know what I mean like it was interesting um when I talked to Branovan last um episode like he was talking about how sometimes humor can stop the plot moving forward and I think that action's the same Mm. but in a way your action scenes are almost like um you know, like songs in a musical or something like they they keep moving it forward do you like action like I'm sorry, I'm I'm obsessed with Fast and the Furious and stuff like that. Like, is that <laughs> is that a genre that you enjoy? Uh, not really that side of it. But I like. I mean, I grew <laughs> up in the '80s, right? So I, you know, I watched all those kind of, you know, um, Predator and, and and Terminator and all those films. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind it as a genre. Um, but I mean, I love combat sports. Like, I watch MMA and kickboxing and boxing. I, I love all that stuff and. Um, used to practice some of them before I got sick on a, on a purely mm. really amateur level. I don't mm. even think I'm like Bruce Lee or something, but um, <laughs> yeah. And so like, I've all, yeah, it's a world that I don't know. I've, I've, I've always been really fascinated by. Mm-hmm. There's something really exciting about seeing that world in a book. You know what I mean? Like it mm. seems very well suited. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, one of my favorite writers from Victorian times, um, William Hazlitt has writes these amazing essays on boxing. And I just, I just do wonder, like, have you ever sort of sat and thought about what it is you like about those combat sports? Um, I think it's what I like about it has changed, but, um, I think I like that, you know, you, cause most games, you know, most sports you watch them like a rugby game, right? It's going to go for, I don't even know how long a movie game is, 90 minutes, 60 minutes, however long it get, you know. It's going to go for that long. Usually by halfway through, you can tell who's going to win. I mean, in a, in a, in a, in a um, kickboxing 
match. I mean, the person can knock the person, the other person out in the first five seconds. It, you know, they can sort of, it can go the full five rounds. Whatever can happen in there. And I think there's such excitement. Um, but I think, for like, I watch a lot of MMA now. And I think, like, it's just that it's kind of like just escapism. And I think everything else in my life is political and um, or creative or both. And so it's nice just to have this thing where the politics of MMA are fucking terrible. So there's no way you're going to get involved in that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's heaps of fucking just, you know, like alt-right lunatics. There's, there's cool people in it too. Mm, mm, um, mm. You know, some of some, you know, like there's a lot of New Zealanders who are involved in it who are awesome and stuff. But yeah, heaps of fuckwits too. So it's sort of like it's nice to have something that is not, yeah, political. Just one thing, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Although I must admit, um, like not, you know, I, I am not trying to um, put it on any pedestal at all. But I mean, I've always, well, from the first time, because, you know, I grew up in a family that liked boxing and then I was in a relationship with a boxer for a long time and you know it was always like boxing and my dad has a few opinions about MMA but like just started watching it about four or five years ago I was astounded at how um you know there are people of all genders fighting Mm -hmm. and um the rules don't seem to change immensely depending on how big you are or depending on you know like what gender you are or yeah it's quite I thought that was quite interesting about the sport and like you say that thing about yeah like there seem to be adjustments in other sports but with this one it's just I mean it is what it is you know yeah well I guess that is one one positive thing about it is that the female athletes are treated with as much sort of respect and get paid as much as the men Mm -hmm. Um, and you'd be hard-pressed to find any sport that does that I think maybe tennis might. I'm not sure. I think someone, yeah, when I brought that up once, someone said tennis, but I don't know anything about tennis. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you couldn't have two more different sports, really. Tennis yeah. and I guess they're both quite individualistic, though, you know? Yeah, completely. And again, you know, this is what makes Monday such an interesting character, is that, you know, like, um, you know, the, the decisions are being made for the self, you know, and yet mm. there is this yearning for the brother, which I think is so interesting. Like it's, yeah, like it, it, it's an incredible, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just think she's an amazing, amazing character. Do you think, like I was um, looking back over the book over the last couple of days and there are definitely parts of it that are funny. And, you know, there's a couple of characters that, um, I don't know, like, in that way, you know, like, you think you're going forward and you go backwards, they sort of act out of the way that you expect them to act. And I just wonder, do you think you use the humour to any effect in the book, or do you think it's just a byproduct of the story? Like, it just, funny things happen because they just happen. I don't know. Um, I think both, you know, like, I think, like, like, a, yeah, like, Northland's a fucking wild place and, and you know yeah. and I think I, I I definitely you know um when you're broke and struggling to get by like wild shit's happening which is often humorous probably in retrospect more than when it's happening to you mm. um but I think also like you need to let some of the tension out sometimes and humor's obviously a great way to do that um mm. like I think there's a scene where you know she goes to hospital and I, I tried to make that quite funny because I thought otherwise, you know, it's like this person you've been following for this time is suddenly in the hospital and they're 
maybe they're going to die, what the fuck's going to happen, and it's just like, if I played that straight, I think it'd just be, you'd be like, oh, for God's sakes, you know, like. <laughs> um, same with the criminals, like, I think that they're a little bit kind of cartoony in a way, because I felt like the first draft of them, they weren't, they, again, they were just like, like, more like real criminals, you know, and I just was like, it's just too, too heavy, you know. Mm, mm. It made me think, um, when I was thinking of it, uh, on that, I, I was thinking as well about, um, I was thinking of some of your really early kind of spoken word poetry or, or rapping or, you know, that was sort of a, about John Key and stuff like that. And <laughs> I was just thinking about how, although there are funny bits in um, um, Poor People, there it never feels like you're laughing at them if you know mm. what I mean and I just wonder like I know it's a real cliche about that idea of punching up rather than punching down but I'm just wondering okay this is this is probably like I'll probably ask this in the wrong way but you're writing a book about people that will possibly not be the people that read this book if you know what I mean and I'm just wondering are you thinking about that when you're writing? Like, are you thinking about kind of, um, I don't know if protecting is the right word, but like about respecting these people in a way that, because there may be people reading this book that have never met people like the people mm. that are in the book. So yeah, I just, I just wonder if you've got any thoughts around that. Well, I, I guess, yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely, I always forget that though, because most of the people yeah. in my life are either still those people or they were mm. those people in the to drag themselves out of that situation and those are the people I'm writing for and I think like a lot of the choices I've made like you know the fact that it's a short book it has short chapters um all of those things I've written it in a way so that when you know which is not to say you know like plenty of my friends that grew up in poverty are fucking really smart and and, and really intellectual but you know like you know like I'm dyslexic as fuck I can't spell at all I, like and and so I want someone like me that like maybe that didn't have, you know, like that hasn't become a writer to be able to pick that book up and read it, you know. Mm. Um, but I do feel a lot of responsibility um, as well to, you know, like there was a lot of research went into that because, you know, in the last few years, I like I've, I've sort of stumbled into this kind of middle class life. So I'm like, you know what I mean? So I was sort of like, you know, I went to gyms. I went, you know, like um, spent all that time in Northland, you know, like went and kicked it with my mate in Avondale who still lives in that area where it's set and we, you know, went around and visited people and um, just to make sure that, you know, because it's crazy with money, man, like the minute you, and I understand now why rich people are assholes because the minute you get a little bit of money, you totally forget what it's like to not have any money and, and that's why you always do that shit where you like spend it all and then you're like, oh, because it feels like it's never going to go. <laughs> so I can imagine if you just had a lot of money that you'd just totally forget that you were ever broke or that you or believe you could ever be broke, you know? Mm, mm. Oh god, I love I love the way money operates in your in in your box and stuff and like yeah, and I think um I went to this great lecture once um I think it was Dougal O'Neill. I was talking about the idea of a working class writer and just this idea that um, once a writer publishes a book, they sort of go into the middle class and then, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's like an mm. oxymoron being a working class writer kind of. It, well, it can't happen. Do you ever talk about or would you want to talk about now what your writing process is like? Like um, mm -hmm. do you think a lot about the work before you put anything on paper or um, 
do you longhand write? Do you record voice messages? I mean, how, what, what does it look like for you to be writing a novel, I guess? Um, yeah, I think about it a lot. Um, I'm, I'm so dyslexic like that. I can, only way I can do it is by writing onto the laptop mm-hmm. um, in, a, yeah, um, in Google Docs. Um, yeah, if I try to do it any other way, like, so I can't write by hand or, and if I find that the part of my brain that has good ideas is not the part that I speak with, <laughs> so you know what I mean? So it's not like, um, so when I was at uni, I went to uni briefly, um, and, and, and they were like, oh, we'll get you a reader writer. So that's someone that sits there and you tell them your ideas and they write it down. But I was like, man, I know the thing in my head, but when I say it, it just sounds dumb. So I, I dropped out, but, um. Yeah, so like thinking about it a lot, um, taking notes. So I've just started my new novel. I'm, I'm about um, 10,000 words in or whatever. Um, but I thought about that for maybe yeah, a year and a half and just took notes. Um, primarily because I was waiting for this book to come out before I really cracked into it because mm. um, I knew I'd have to do the edits and I didn't want to kind of get into that new world and then have to go back to the old one, if you know what I mean. Totally. Because I was just thinking, like, it's so interesting. Do you find that um, books have different phases? You know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know, like, you know, like, um, my friend and I were talking about how um, that end bit where, you know, I, I feel lucky enough to be published and I'm talking with an editor. We talked about that being like a slow heart attack. Like, it just feels so, it can feel so bad. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I really, I really hear what you're saying about needing to be done with that before you can start something new. Yeah, and I guess that's why I feel lucky that um, I have other creative outlets because I feel like mm. if it was just the novels. Um, I remember my mate I used to rap with said that to me because he, he he was like, get another one so that when you're not inspired in the one, you can switch to the other. And I think that was really good advice, you know. It's really good advice. Because the other thing that I think is interesting, I, I think I'm right in this, but I could be completely wrong, is that did the book of poetry come out while you were writing the novel and also the two um, shows came out while you were writing the novel? Or is it all like segmented off in different times? No, um, so I started this in 2018. So I did, yeah, I did one of the shows I'd already done, but I, didn't, I did one of the shows and I did a book of poetry and a zine. Um, mm, mm. while I was waiting <laughs> to get this thing out because I think I finished it quite quickly but then COVID happened and then um, no one wanted to publish it initially so I sort of had to go for that rigmarole and mm. um, yeah so I'm really hoping with the new book that I can get it maybe a year two years max and just get it out and because um, I feel like once you've got three books it should um, hopefully better get funding (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching the Kardashians a lot lately and I was working I was trying to work out why I find them so calming and I think it's just yeah different problems eh like it's Mm. like (laughs) I don't know she was saying oh I've got such a busy day and yeah anyway sorry I love them I love them so much I could just watch them all day I just I fucking love them um so yeah I think and do you think like it's really interesting what you're saying like you're saying that you learned heaps about like story through doing the shows and um yeah I just wonder are you always writing poetry that's something I've always wondered about you oftentimes I'm I've sort of yeah I I, so my ex was an artist and the one thing she taught me was like 
put all your good ideas into one thing and then do the next thing. And so, so at the moment, because I'm writing, I'm I'm trying to write um, a, a ten thousand words of the new novel so I can get funding. You know, mm, even mm. I probably won't. Um, so I'm trying not to write any poetry at the moment, but then occasionally because I'm in love and I've been writing love poems and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I'm always writing. St- yeah, like dancers, yes. That's a long way of saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> I really love I really love what I'm hearing and I really relate to this is that poetry for me, I write that when I'm kind of inspired, but sometimes the novel is more of a slow, hard slog, if you know what mm. I mean. Like mm. well not a slog. That's a terrible thing to say, but I think that I find poetry can be a little bit more quickly rewarding than, you know, the novel. I, I find like, I love it. I love writing fiction and I love writing long fiction. But I just think every now and then, you know, it's just like, whoa, I like that. It's shiny and, yeah, it's great. I really like it. Um, You've been teaching um workshops for a while now. And I wonder, one, do you want to talk about why you started teaching them? And two, do you want to talk a little bit about them? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, do you want to just tell us a bit about the um I don't know, do you even call them workshops? Like what what do you yeah. how do you like to call them? Yeah, yeah, I guess workshops or wananga. Um I started them I, I I guess because for myself like um I wanted to be a writer from you know really young but because I was dyslexic cuz in special ed through school everyone's like bro, it's not for you, you know. And um luckily I got into rapping, you know, and through that I learned to write um yeah, so that's how I learned to write. And then also um, my friend's mum is a poet and my other friend's um, sister's a poet. So I would go and pester them and be like, oh, teach me something. And, you know, my my friend's mum, I bought her a bottle of wine once and she looked at my poems and was like, this is shit, this is shit, this is the one good thing, do this. You know, which was so invaluable and, I, and I, I'm so grateful she did that. Um, but, you know, like, I, I, so I wanted to create a course that was like for me, back then like what I needed you know um because I did do a few night courses but generally it was just sort of so esoteric and it's sort of like you know even just sitting around reading this shitty poetry but it's like oh, teach me like show me how to create a metaphor show me how to use imagery effectively show me how to edit show me how to structure and so what the course is 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 that you know it's like a boot camp in creative writing so it's just like here's all these things I've learned um here's how I do them Sometimes I'll be like, here's how some other people do them. Now go and do what what you will with that, you know. Um, mm, mm. There's very little sharing. Like, I don't really need to hear your work. Like, this is about you. Because I find as soon as you get people sharing, um, someone becomes the star and then intimidates everyone else. But the thing is, I, I, that person who's got that natural talent isn't necessarily going to be the good artist long term, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Um, if they don't have that work ethic, so... Yeah, it's been amazing. Like, it's, it's not like if you would have told me ten years ago I was going to be running a successful creative writing, I'd be just think crazy, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Um, like, when you say that you want to create the workshop that you wanted, I think that's what you said. Um, mm. What? I guess not in a way that sort of goes, "Oh, what what sucks about school." But I'm just thinking, so do you think that it's more that kind of, um, 
you know, I think because one of the things I think that's really successful is the not sharing. Like I really think that's quite successful, mm. um, you know, for me anyway. And, yeah, and yeah. I just wonder, like, so is it is it the elements of this boot camp kind of like X, Y, Z, let's go and do it kind of thing that you think works so well? Yeah, I think it's that. And I think just like I, I, I literally show them all my tricks. This is how to do all the things that I do, you know. And, and I know a lot of people don't want to do that because they're like scared that people are going to come up. And there have been people... Um, not name any names, but there have been people that have definitely plagiarized and whatever. But I'm like, if I can't keep ahead of someone that's like 10, 15 years behind me, then that's on me. You know what I mean? Because they can do the thing, but I've been doing this for so long. And and, and at the end of the day, like, I would rather there was a bunch of successful, awesome people rather than just me just sitting around like, oh, I've worked this out myself. Like, I think like everything I do, like, I want to bring people with me you know what I mean um like and especially people that normally wouldn't be in in those spaces because like you say you know like the literary community is real middle class and it's very it's just like a bubble you know and that's cool but I don't know I'd like to bring I, I don't know I just there's, there's other ways of being a writer you know and and, mm, I, mm. I, and you know it's the same like you've shown that I feel like I, myself and other people have shown that as well you know Mm, yeah and and I just think um yeah I really I really love what you're saying like I just and there was something else that you said that I think I heard right like I think you said that um your ex-partner said something about um putting everything into one thing you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like I I um I really like this idea like I think I read this George Saunders thing and he talked about pushing the beads to the end you know like for a lot of years I would hold things back thinking oh this is my one good idea you know but really just absolutely leaning into that and putting everything that I think is good into something is often really great yeah and and I find that when you do that the new idea will come you know and but you got to make space for it by getting the other one out and because I feel like how I mean I fucked my music career up in many ways but one of the ways I did it was that I did that I held on I had these songs that were like really good and I didn't put them out and then by the time I did put them out no one cared anymore and just sort of you know like trying to be kind of clever with it and it's just like nah just fucking put it out there you know it's it's not precious it's just art you know what I mean like (laughs) um and people you know people like some of them people don't like other bits but who cares you got the next thing coming and it's yeah I mean, that's something that I just, that's one thing I really don't understand about the way the literary community operates is that no one's making any money. Like, I've sold quite a lot of books and I haven't really got any money, and, you know, except for the ones that I made myself. And so I'm, I don't understand why there's all this pomp and circumstance around everything. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand why it's not like, you're yeah, not making any money, but this is cool. Like, like, you know, let's bring everyone in here. Like, you know, like, like there's a mate of mine who I used to rap with who was infinitely better rapper than me he's a genius you know um but he he got addicted to drugs and he was homeless for a while and he's sort of coming he's got his shit together again now and he was saying to me he wanted to write a book and I was like bro if you write a book I'll do everything I can to make it happen because it's like rapping taught me how to write a book and you're a much better rapper than me so there's no reason you can't do that but I was thinking man like what's going to happen though if he does the book and it's successful and he has to go into that community into that environment you know is that fear to, to him? And I don't know, like, so that's something I've been thinking about a lot, you know? What's the alternative to that, you know? Is there an alternative to that? Yeah, because I think it's so interesting, eh? Like, I was thinking that um, there have been a few situations that I've been in over, you know, since I started writing where um, 
like it's like I, I've been expected to act like I'm richer than I am kind of if you know what I mean and and like you know like there's this idea that I'm I'm scared that people will be upset if they find out that none of us are making any money off their books you know like oh, yeah. and and I, I I just think you're so right like this idea but you know isn't that something great that's happening with dead bird books like you know it really feels like there is this alternative growing like the the way that people are more in charge of their own um you know their, their own stuff like all the stuff that Jordan Hamill's doing mm. um you know Hadassah you know like all the stuff that's been doing by the the writers at Dead Bird Books and I don't know like what what was your like what can you remember why you wanted to start that? Like, I think I talked to you around about the time that you were thinking about it, but yeah, like why start publishing? Like, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not to get rich maybe. No, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't think so. um, I think like, um, I, I had the manuscript for, um, I thought would be famous. And I sent that to everyone just to see if anyone was interested. You know, I, I in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm probably gonna self-publish this, but let's see. And I think I got one email back saying no, and that was it. No one else even responded to it. And I knew it was good because I performed a lot of those poems and, and, and I've been making shit for long enough. Like, I'm not one of those people, like, I've made bad art, right? And I know when I've made bad art, like, I'm not <laughs> someone that thinks everything I make is great by any means. Um, but I knew that that was something special, you know? And, and so I was like, fuck it. And I also, I had all these mates who were amazing um, ironically, we only got to publish a few of them, like a bunch of them um, quit poetry or, um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, a bunch of them stopped doing poetry around the time that we set it up. But, um, and, and I remember saying to Sam, who I do it with, Sam Walsh, I was like, I bet you it's not that hard. It can't be that difficult because we both ran record labels and it's like, it's just got to be the same thing, right? And it is, you know, so we initially met with distributors and they were being dicks and we're like fuck it we'll just set up our own distribution system which we did and that meant that we could keep all the money um and i know it's you know um it's meant to be in poor taste to talk about money but um i mean i made enough money to buy a car off i thought would be famous you know and a nice car too and that's because we got to keep all the all the money and 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 because we did all the promotion we just hustled the shit out of it you know um which you can't do necessarily if you're on another thing mm. um and and it's not just us as well you know there's compound books um there's that new press whose name i forget because i'm terrible with names but i mean i think anyone listening that's thinking about self-publishing i mean if you've got that hustler kind of like if you're good at going out there and, and selling stuff you know you should do it because you can make money doing it you know and i think that um there's probably a reason why it's frowned upon but you know because it's kind of you know like yeah it was definitely easier than I thought it was going to be in some respects and saying that and as like, a press we haven't made a single cent so yeah 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 you know because I think people are more and more good at because like this is what I'm hearing about what you're saying is that it sounds like more a relational model you know it's like um I know I was lucky enough to work with um Emma Barnes like years ago oh, on cool. something and you know like we were like if you come along if you come along and bring your body to this poetry performance we will give you the book and that is the only way you can get the book you yeah. know that's the only way you can get the publication and I just feel like you know with the tour that you did around that book and that sort of thing like it just it just seems I don't know like it seems like this perfect um 
like this perfect equation. I don't know. I think it's smart. Yeah, and, and it's and, fun. This other thing, it's really fun, you know, and I think that, I mean, it was nice to make that money, but had we not made it, I think the, the, the rest of it actually was cool too, you know, like that definitely was its own reward, you know. Mm. And like it must be really interesting working with other poets as well. Like, I mean, I don't know, like I just, I think again, you know, sometimes we're in these silos, but um. You know, because I remember um, talking to Jay years ago and she was saying, you know, like, I, you know, I, I can't imagine not publishing as being a writer, you know, like that these, these two things, they go together. I don't know. Mm. And I don't know, like, do you feel like it's more like that in the music business? Like, I feel like back in the day when I was hanging around with um, more musicians than I do now, like, you know, it, it was like someone would do the sound at your gig or someone would be on the door selling tickets at your gig or, you know, like, do you feel, do you feel like that's kind of where you cut your teeth as far as this kind of distribution and all that kind of thing goes? Yeah, I mean, we run Dead Bird Books like an independent record label. Like, that's, mm, mm. you know, like with having posters, doing shows, um, because I think, like, when I was doing music, whether it was punk music or hip-hop, there's definitely an attitude where, like, if a label was getting involved, it was like, well, you know, you have to come to us. Whereas it sort of seems in the publishing industry it's the other way around, you know? Like, you have to go to the publisher and win them over. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, I'm not trying to say, like, there's obviously advantages to being on Penguin, to being on VUP, to being on whoever that... Um, but I think... Yeah, if if you're the kind of person that that I think enjoys putting your stuff out there and touring and all that kind of stuff, then yeah, I think self-publishing or independent publishing definitely is the way to go. You know, because what I love about it, like, is that um, like what I think having watched you and watched some other people is that there's room for all of it. You know what I mean? You know, like there are there are quite independent people that are now working on anthologies um with quite you know like established um publishing houses and you know there are people editing and I, I don't know like it just feels I know that we're supposed to feel depressed about publishing at the moment but I feel really quite positive about it that seems yeah dangerous. I don't know I mean cause I don't really have any historical context because I've only really been around for like five years so it's sort of yeah you know what I mean like yeah. um it all seems all good but, to me but I mean I don't yeah. know I, I think maybe I'd feel differently if I didn't have the writing courses, you know, because I think that's something that my, you know, my popularity as a writer means that more people come to the courses and I make money through that. Whereas I think if I didn't have that, I might be, you know, a bit more negative about it. Because <laughs> I think this is something that I think is really interesting. Like you talked about not talking about money. I'm I'm obsessed with talking to writers about money. Like, um, because I guess the thing that makes me feel sad about the fact that um, people can't make a living out of their writing is that it means that you need to have disposable in, uh, disposable time, you know, like you need to have time that you can spend writing because you've got to have another job kind of thing. Uh, Not you, I mean me, um, you know, and like, and like, I guess that's the only thing that worries me about people not making money out of books is that it doesn't mean that someone can you know it's, it's not a viable option for heaps of people and um yeah I don't know like I um I don't know where I'm even going with this but I just think that it's again you know this I I know where I was you were just talking about this idea where there's 
there's the writing and the writing makes some other income possible. And I guess, I guess that's kind of like bands that tour, isn't it? Mm. Like, I guess, you know, it's offsetting that price. Yeah. What, I mean, like, how do you sustain your writing? Like, this is, this is the question that I'm asking everyone I'm talking to at the moment. Like, Financially I mean, or like emotionally? Everything. Like, I mean, I think that financially, yes, but also like, like, I don't know what it's like for you, but I, you know, there's, there's no one waiting at the bottom of the cliff going, Oh, I hope Pip writes a new book. You know, like, mm. most people are like, I hope she never writes again, but like, you know, like I just, how do we keep ourselves going? You know, like it, it's a weird, I don't know. Like it's a weird job. I don't know. Yeah, it is. But I, I mean, I think that there are people waiting for you to write another book. There's people waiting for me to write books. I, I definitely, I think that, um, there's that. And I think also it's like, if we're honest with ourselves, this is probably some form of mental illness that we have to do this thing, you know, because if there's any reason or logic to it, I would have stopped 20 years ago, you know, like, um, and I think the other thing is like, um, you know, like, like I said, until four years ago, five years ago, I was in poverty. So it's sort of like, or in and out of it, or whatever, um, that I'm not scared of that, you know, like, whereas I think, yeah, and I think I think one group of people as well that um, like a lot of my friends are graffiti artists or people I grew up with graffiti artists, and I think how a lot of them approach art is quite inspiring to me. Where they're just like, I'll "Fucking do anything! I'll sell drugs! I'll shoplift! I'll fucking whatever! I'll steal the paint I need! I'll do a legal war and get paid for that! I'll do a canvas! Whatever the thing is to sustain my art." Um, and so I sort of take a bit of that. You know, I'm not trying to act like I'm you know i'm not i'm not i'm not um that kind of out there but like just that mentality i think you know because because we do have to do it you know and 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 i don't mean that in some grandiose way like it's important it's just it's like a tick or something you know like um yeah because i know that like you know in five or ten years or however long it's going to be you know no one's going to give a fuck about what i'm doing but i'm still going to be doing it you know Mm. Yeah, I really, I you've kind of blown my mind a little bit because like I, I think that for the last maybe two or three years, I've been in this state of thinking the work's got to pay. But I think like what I've heard you say, which might not be what you're saying, is that I need to pay for the work, which is something that I think I feel much more comfortable with, if you know what I mean. Like thinking of like the most comfortable I feel is when I think of writing as some kind of practice, you know, like Mm. for me, it's like not sounding highfalutin, but it is some kind of spiritual practice, you know, like just this idea of trying to do something that I don't know how to do is quite good for my spirit. If you know what I mean? Like, Mm. it's kind of like, Oh yeah, I have, I have no idea how to do this. And now I'm going to work at this problem that I have no idea how to do. Um, And yeah, I think, Oh my God, I, I, I just, yeah, I really like what you said then. I really like what you said because I do think that sometimes I'm like, you know, why is the why is the work not paying out when you know, the the other way of looking at it is that yeah, like it's something I enjoy, you know, like I often think about people that play golf. <laughs> <laughs> it costs yeah. a lot of money to play golf. Hard <laughs> out. Do you play golf? I've never played golf. I played it once no, that's... for like a work party, and I don't know. I was, I'm too unco for for that kind of thing. <laughs> Do you realize I just totally lied to you? When I was in the South Island, I used to play golf, and we played on this bizarre um, 
um, I don't know what you call it, field pitch thing, golf course, um, that went over a um, horse racing track. It was in maybe Gore or somewhere. Yeah, it was really strange. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, We're getting near the end. My God, it's gone so fast. Um, And I think I've asked just about everything I wanted to ask you. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Have you got a course coming up soon? or? Yeah, I've got a poetry one in September. Um, Oh, nice. Is it booked out yet, though? No, no. I've just actually just started promoting it now. Um, so if people are keen, they should um, hit me up. It's online over two days. Nice. And um, and what are you doing to celebrate the book coming out? Um, so we're doing an Auckland launch at Soap Bar on the 11th, 6 p.m. Uh, I'm going to read some poems and read the book. And my mate Sam Takani, who's this incredible writer, is going to do <gasps> some stuff. Yeah, Sam's awesome. Um, so good. And then I think I'm going to do a I'm doing the writers' festivals, but then I'm going to do a tour with Sam um, and with Francis from IE Crazy, um, yeah, in November. So then we're going to go around the country, which I'm just booking at the moment. Um, that will be amazing. Yeah. What a trio. That's like the perfect, that's like a dream night. That'll be amazing. Yeah, That'll I'm so really good. excited because I was just like, oh, who can I, who can I drag along? To lose some money around the country with me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh my god, it's quite wild, eh? I, I don't know. I just really like it, and I was just thinking, like, you've also just been doing a few little readings on your Instagram as well, eh? Mm. Yeah, I'm sort of like if you want to go to that, and I'm just reading um, chapters from the book. Um, so I'm going to read the first five chapters, sort of leading up to launch. Um, and I just found out that um, Penguin are going to do an audio book, which they want me to narrate. Which I'm a little bit nervous about. <laughs> I so have to talk to you about this because, like, I am obsessed about how they narrate audiobooks. Like, how the fuck do they do that? Like, a whole book? I don't know. Well, because, you know, to promote Iceland, I read the whole book in my friend's yeah. shop. And, I remember and, like, that. And we got this beer sponsorship, so I was, like, fucking drinking quite heavily. And, like... <laughs> The first few chapters, like, because there were quite a lot of people there, and I was like, fuck, yeah, this is cool. And when we were halfway through, I was like, what the fuck? And, I remember, and I, at one point, I gave the book to someone. I was like, bro, can you read a couple of chapters? And I just went outside. I was like, God, I need a break from this. Like, um, yeah, so I shan't be repeating that. But um, apparently, they were saying you do kind of half days. So, man, I so, oh my God, can I talk to you after you've done that? Because like, I just, like, I just can't imagine what you do when you make a mistake. There must be like rule, like you must go back. I don't know. Like I, I am obsessed because I listen to audiobooks all the time now. Like I, yeah. Do you know the I, best the audiobook point... I've ever heard? What's that? I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, is Lonesome Dove, the audiobook of Lonesome Dove. The, um, Real? Larry McMurtry book. Yeah. It's just like ah. the, the guy that reads it, he's some 80s actor who was like sort of had like a bit part in Magnum P.I. or something in a few action films. <laughs> but like, because um, do, you, do you know the book? Lonesome Dove? Not at all, no. Oh, it's, an awesome, it's an awesome book. I mean, I don't It's, um, I mean, some of it hasn't dated that well because it's written in the 80s. But, um, but it's, yeah, really, it's like cast, you know, like 50, 60 different characters in there. And he has a different voice for each character. And there's one scene where one of the characters gets drunk and he changes the voice slightly. And I was just like, damn. So people would not be expecting that kind of performance from me. <laughs> I, got, I got one voice. So that's all. Everyone's got the same voice. 
<laughs> it's funny because I was thinking, how are you going to do that, Dom? And I forgot totally, like, God, you memorize like an hour and 15 minutes worth of fucking show. Like, I mean, God, it'll, it'll be amazing. Oh, my God, it's going to be so cool. I can't wait for the audiobook. Ah, that's very exciting. Very exciting indeed. But I think people should buy the physical book. Go and buy the book. Can you pre-order at the moment? Yeah, yeah. If they want to pre-order, I think you can go to like Mighty Ape or um, what calls or that kind of thing. If you go on, um, if you go on um, my Instagram, there's a link to it. Dominic Holly at Instagram. Awesome. That is so good. Where did, does your last name come from? Uh, it's Irish. Um, ah. Yeah, my um, there... great great grandfather. It's actually it was actually Ohoy, and then. He was involved in that miners' uprising in um, Nelson, I think, and so he changed it to Hoey, so he not get arrested. Ah. And back in the day, that ah. worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you? Oh, no, you're not. Sweet. Oh, we yeah. weren't arrested. We'll pass, pass by. Pass by. Pass by. It's great. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Thank you so much, Dominic. It's so lovely to talk to you. Yeah, You're no, it's awesome. it's awesome. I've been listening to the podcast for years, so it's great to come on. Yay, you're the best. Thank you. I'm going to push the stop button. Okay.